0: Welcome, I'm Todd King with the Accident Recovery Team. Welcome to the Accident Recovery Team podcast. With me is one of my partners, Gary Albin. Say hello, Gary. Hello, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wait a minute. Now, uh, you've previously, those of you that have been listening, have uh, been listening to a series we've done on personal injury, in particular, motor vehicle accidents. And that was with Sean Brennan, our other partner. Correct. Um, the man with the head for business and the voice for radio. <laughs> oh, that's I, right. <laughs> I apologize in advance. I don't have that booming voice, but uh, we're going to cover a different topic, Gary and I, and that is workers' compensation, industrial accidents um, and work comp for injuries that occur in the state of Kansas anyway. Um, there are a lot of differences between this and, and personal injury, a ton. Oh, absolutely.
1: Work comp primarily is what's called an administrative system, meaning each state's uh, laws can be a little bit different because they're all created by uh, the legislatures. And so um, there's certain benefits to that where you can get, as an injured worker, uh, certain types of benefits quicker than if you're in the uh the regular tort system like for a personal injury claim but then there's a trade-off there's also some uh benefits that uh you don't have in the works comp so it's important to kind of know the difference and this is
0: for people to understand anybody listening i'm not gonna spend a lot of boring history here but to give you a background um the kansas work comp system came out in 1911 it was one of the earliest ones in the united states but to understand why the work comp system exists, you kind of have to understand what it was like without it. Right. And if somebody got hurt at work or an industrial accident, uh, it, they didn't have the same access uh, to the evidence. They were typically fighting an employer, a large company. Uh, it wasn't an even playing field.
1: That's right. You-
0: and so the quid pro quo became... You know This statutory animal that created a playing field where you're not going to win enough money to put anybody out of business most likely, but they created an environment where if you got hurt and had a claim, you were going to get something. You were going to get treatment, you're going to get some settlement, um, but no one gets pushed out of the system and no one goes out of business because of the system.
1: That's exactly right. And you don't have to worry if you're the injured worker. You don't have to get into the whole issue of, was the employer negligent? Did they do something that caused my accident? I think one of the most significant differences between work comp and like a personal injury claim is, work comp is no fault in the sense that if you can show that you were injured at work, And there are some exceptions, but by and large, exactly. Uh, But by and large, you you were uh, not horsing around. You weren't ignoring safety devices uh, or procedures that the employer had implemented. Uh, Even in theory, if the employee was at fault themselves, doesn't matter. It's covered under work comp. and, And you're exactly right. You don't have to wait to get medical treatment. The idea is you get medical treatment much quicker. You don't have to wait to get uh, paid if you're off work. There's a When I say you don't have to wait, there are some delays, unfortunately, under the work comp system. But by and large, it works much more quickly to provide medical care, to provide money to tide somebody over while they're healing before they can get back to work. And then, as you say, Uh, there's a settlement there's there's compensation for the injury sustained itself under the work comp system within certain
0: guidelines and and a framework now personal injury claims like motor vehicle accidents that sean has been talking about for the past several weeks you know that kind of law is fairly well established it's been established for quite a while one of the differences when you're dealing with work comp is that it's a system that can change frequently as long as the legislature is in session in Topeka, for example, in our capital, the law can be changed uh, on any given year. Uh, the statute can be tweaked, amended, uh, and all of a sudden we're dealing with some new rules. Absolutely. And
1: there can even be changes that come about as a result of the Kansas Court of Appeals or the Kansas Supreme Court saying, maybe this is how this law has been interpreted in the past, but this is how it should be interpreted now. Uh, so it's... it's a A fluid system things can and do change and that's probably why it's so important not to make assumptions not to take advice I would suggest from well-intentioned co-workers or or somebody else you know going to talk to an experienced work comp lawyer that's up to speed on what the current status of the law is and knows what rights you're entitled to and what obligations you have as far as giving notice it's critically important
0: because how many times have we heard you know my uncle it had a case, and it was like this. Well, right. your uncle's case was out of Texas, number yeah. one. Uh, or your uncle's case was from 1983, or something that would explain that it was an entirely different law, an entirely different system than what we're dealing with now. For the benefit of those listening and looking back to this, uh, we are in August of 2020, the nightmare year of 2020, right? <laughs> So everything that you and I are gonna talk about over this series of podcasts would involve the law as it's written currently.
1: That's correct, So, right.
0: Um, we'll start with the fact that when someone says work comp, uh, there are people that will call us for consultation. Of Course consultations are always free at our office, so we'll talk to anybody that has questions, but they'll call up and many times I'll detect that they're confused about what this entity is when they say, work comp right and so let's break that down first of all there's the work comp statute the the legislative creation written on the books so you and i might refer to a work comp law or a work comp judge or we're referring to the statutory animal or the administrative process Mm -hmm. Um, the employer however probably wouldn't use that term that way they would be referring to their insurance Right. The statute would require, uh, and we'll get into the specifics here in a second, but in short, the statute, the Kansas statute, would require certain employers to go out and procure work comp insurance to, to cover what's mandated by the statute. And so the employer would refer to work comp most likely as the agency, the insurance agency, or that coverage. Sure Fair enough? Absolutely. See that all the time. And so, Explain to folks the difference between a claim and a case because that's something else that confuses people sure You know they'll say I already have a work comp case and then in the course of the consultation We'll detect that no you really don't what you <laughs> have is a claim That's floating out there with an insurance company. It's not a case. What's the difference? No, that's exactly right um, once a person gets hurt
1: you uh, whether well, first of all, once a person gets hurt, they have obligation to provide at least verbal notice to the employer uh, within 20 days of the fact that they got hurt at work. Uh, if there's a little bit of a of a twist to that, though, if a person ends up leaving their job uh, before that 20 days is over, as and, in ending the employment, and then ending the employment, they retire, they resign, they're terminated. Uh, The statute says you only have 10 days from your last day of work to go ahead and and give notice. So, the most important thing is you you want to give notice, I would suggest, almost always, and there can be exceptions, but almost always, if you got hurt at work, you should let your supervisor know. That keys some responsibilities on the employer to provide a a written notice. But even if they don't do that,
0: if they drop the ball... And, And their obligation, when you say their written notice, that is reporting to the state Right within 28 days of them having received right. notice that you got
1: hurt, but that doesn't—that starts there being uh, a claim. Uh, but in order to, to have a case, to in order to go ahead and make sure your case is docketed with the Kansas Department of Labor, which is a state agency that oversees all of this stuff, beyond giving verbal notice to the employer within 20 days or 10 days, if you're no longer working there. You have three years from the date of the injury to provide. Uh, written notice to the, or I guess now it's probably electronic notice, because most of this stuff is done uh, through a computer system. But you have three years, regardless of what the employer has done, to give a written notice in in the form of what's called an application for hearing with the Kansas Department of Labor. I've had people call in and say, I got hurt a year ago. I told my employer right away, uh, you know, that, that this happened. They provided, the insurance company adjuster called me, provided some treatment, but you know, I never really got better. I've even asked for more treatment, they haven't done it, or I've just been working. And I called up the insurance company adjuster and said, I want to go back to the doctor. And they said, I'm sorry, we already closed your, your case. But well, they haven't closed anything. They may have an electronic <laughs> file at the insurance company saying, this is what's associated with this risk, but they can't close your case. If you you still have that three years to file the case with the Department of Labor where it's doctored and it gives you the right, if there's a disagreement, regarding medical
0: treatment or benefits as, go, as we've always said don't let your employer or the insurance company tell you what your rights are don't let them tell you you don't have a case don't let them tell you that they've closed your case absolutely right they have a little bit I mean
1: just to always look at it. they might have your best interests of heart but you know they might be wrong or maybe they're trying to uh, maybe they don't necessarily have your best interests
0: of heart but so in short, the, a claim would be that, that your employer has turned it into their insurance. Right. A case would mean that you're not satisfied with what's happening at that level, and you've notified and done the proper filing with the Department of Labor, Division of Work Comp, right. out of our state capital, and it is now docketed, a judge is assigned, and you can take your grievances there. That's exactly right.
1: And and it's set up so that an injured worker doesn't have to have an attorney, in theory, and they can file that claim or that case, I should say, with the Department of Labor themselves. I would say the vast majority of people don't do that though. They have a question, they wanna know what the rights are, they contact a work comp lawyer, whether it's you or I, or one of our competitors. The vast majority of cases are filed by the uh, attorney on behalf of their uh, client in order to be able to get in front of a judge and either get more evaluation, more treatment, or
0: more benefits. By the way, we're going to over the next series. We're going to dive into some of these details. Uh, we're going to have an entire podcast dedicated to how to get, maintain, and uh, address changes in treatment. Pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to go over the procedural requirements going through the legal process. We're going to dive into all of that. So what right. we're talking about today is an overview, right? Fair Ex- enough? Exactly. And right. I wanted to mention when I introduced you, Gary, and I forgot, um, (laughs) just so people listening understand uh, your sage wisdom and where it's coming from, how long have you been practicing?
1: Uh, Well, I was admitted to the bar in 1990, so yeah, I'm coming up on 30 years. (laughs) Now, not all that has been solely in the work comp area, but yeah, I've been going at it good golly, 30 years.
0: And as much as you and I have been at this, Mm -hmm. and as much as I would like to say that we've you know have a vast knowledge of this stuff i would reiterate this stuff changes all the time absolutely right and it's a it's a matter of perpetually learning and staying on top of it it's not just you acquire the knowledge and 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 can then apply it you have to continue to learn uh, because these things change um, well, now, wait a minute, just a second, you've told everybody basically how old I am.
1: <laughs> Turn around, fair <laughs> play. How long have you been at this, time? Not quite as long as you
0: have. <laughs> um, but, but a long time. All right, so we understand now there's claims to be made, there's a way to, to make a case, right? So under work comp then, now some employers, some employment relationships are covered by the statute, some are not. That's correct. Um, so if you've been injured in the course of work, really the question becomes, were you injured in the course of an activity that's covered, jurisdictionally speaking, by the work comp statute vis-a-vis the employment relationship, right? So right. The, the threshold is what $20,000 in annual aggregate Aggregate payroll for the year preceding the accident. That's right. Meaning that if you work for an employer
1: and their annual average payroll to employees is less than twenty thousand dollars, that's actually outside of the work comp system. There may be other remedies you could pursue, but right, that's not technically covered under work comp. Also, if you're an an independent contractor as opposed to an employee, that's a big distinction. And and that there's a whole there's cases that talk about what's the difference between an independent contractor versus an employee. Uh, There's a lot of different nuances. Again, I would strongly urge people, don't rely on your employer saying, you're an independent contractor, not an employee. Don't even rely on a piece of paper that maybe you signed that says, I'm an independent contractor, not an employee. Or,
0: Or even if you think you're an independent contractor. That's right.
1: The court says it's not what people call themselves. It's what Is actually where the rubber meets the road. How are you treated? Does this person have the right to set your hours? Do they provide the tools? Do they have the right to hire and fire you? Bottom line is, go to a lawyer. And and
0: and by the way, those are only. There's no bright line analysis. Those the things you just mentioned are only three of of innumerable number of factors that the court looks at to determine whether someone's an employee or a contractor. That's and that's independent of what the parties themselves are calling them.
1: Right. right. So to be clear, an employee, uh, as opposed to an independent contractor, is covered by the work comp system if their employer has a pay, an annual payroll of greater than $20,000 and if it's not an agricultural pursuit that you're engaged in. Um, in other words, people that are engaged in what are called agricultural pursuits are not covered by the Kansas Work Compact, believe it or not. Right. Again... It's not always what you may think it is. Uh, There are. The the
0: definition of agricultural pursuit has been somewhat veiled and gray over the years as well. Absolutely, right. Bottom line is
1: don't make make assumptions. Uh, Don't rely on what somebody else says. Go talk to a lawyer. Ultimately, everybody has a right to go in front of an administrative judge to lay out the facts, and that judge will make a determination based on. What is going on in your particular instance, your particular case? Even if
0: you don't think you're covered, even if your employer doesn't think you're covered, you might still be covered, and a free consultation is well worth your time to come in and find out for sure.
1: Yeah, plus, you know, the thing I always stress to people is that's 100% confidential. You go and you talk to somebody for an hour, you don't get charged or anything, and nobody knows you can talk about it. Then after you get, have some, some knowledge about what your situation is, then it's up to you as the person as to whether... Do I want to bring a claim? Do I want to hire a lawyer to help me do, bring the claim? The point is that you have a right to make a educated, well-supported decision. And
0: you know, I would add, just because maybe you think it's not a work comp case, and maybe it's not a work comp case. Sure. That consultation, as you and I both know in the past, has led to a discussion that, yeah, you don't have a work comp case. But guess what? <laughs> you might very well have a personal injury claim against that employment entity or some other entity. All right. um, so you might still have a different kind of claim to be made.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Um, so let's assume for a minute uh, we're going to bypass today borrowed servant and some of those other employment issues that could pull somebody that would otherwise not be within the jurisdiction of the employment relationship and might pull them in. That gets a little confusing maybe for for people listening, we'll bypass that for the moment. Let's talk about um, an injury where the employment relationship does exist, we're within the jurisdiction of the statute, right? Okay. it used to be, there's been some legislative changes that have caused some havoc in the work comp system the last few years, but it used to be as simple as arising out of and in the course of your employment. Right. Two separate factors, right? Correct. What's, those, what's the
1: distinction between those two for folks? Something arises in the course of employment if basically it happens on the job while you are, or on the, again, it all depends, but let's say you work in a factory setting. It arises in the course of employment if it happens while you're on the uh, premises of the employer generally during working hours. Uh, again, there can be lots of little nuances to that. But that's, I think, in essence a fair way to summarize in the course of employment. Now, if a person is driving to and from work, and it's let's say they get hurt in a, in a car accident on the way to work or coming home from work, you have to look as to whether or not travel is an integral part of, of the employment. That you do. So, in other words, a traveling person who travels and makes sales calls on people outside—they're probably going to be covered under a uh, car accident. Whereas, when I leave my house in the morning to drive into work, even though travel is a part of what I do, generally I'm not considered to have arrived at work until I hit the front door and I'm under—I'm on the premises of. of, that are under the exclusive control of the employer right but arising out of the course of employment means that basically you were engaged in an activity that you were hired to do so if you're working a lathe uh, if you get injured while you're working the lathe that's an easy case if you were normally working a lathe but they're doing uh, job sharing they want people to learn what's going on in the office you probably still would be covered there but if I, you I have
0: probably oversimplified this in the past but, for the sake of the listeners, I've always said, rising out of it in the course of, the shortened version would be, it happened because of work and while you were at work.
1: Well, that summarizes that's just... in about five <laughs>
0: seconds, what it was taking me five minutes to dance around. But, you know, that's a good way to put it. And, as you mentioned, though, there are a ton of exceptions. And some uh-huh. of those exceptions are, are statutory. Some of those exceptions are case law. Uh-huh. We've learned over the years it's not that simple. Travel is, there's a ton of case law that talks about what kind of travel would be included in that and what wouldn't. Sure. As you point out, typically just getting to work is not part of the job. Right. Um, But if there's something inherent to your work that causes you to travel, that kind of travel would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's right. And,
1: you know, sometimes arising uh, out of employment. If somebody's horsing around or or not really doing what they're supposed to be doing, that may or may not be covered. If you get into a fight with the guy next to you and you get injured, happened at work, sort of rose in uh, in the course of employment, did it arise out of employment? Well, unless
0: you're, you know, employed as an MMA uh, fighter, <laughs> I, maybe not.
1: But again, maybe not.
0: It's worth doing. There boring. have been some cases where, if the point of contention that led to the the argument and ultimately the conf, physical confrontation was work-related, those cases have made it past the judge in the past a yeah. few times. If it's an imported issue into the work environment, where You know, somebody found out about their girlfriend happens to be his girlfriend. Well, that's an issue that was imported into the work environment. And the fact that it happened at work is irrelevant. Yeah. You know,
1: if my wife is listening to this, she's probably thinking... I know Gary is such a nerd. He's sitting here, you know, looking at all these little things, and you can't tell on the podcast. But Todd and I are both grinning. It's kind of neat to get into the facts of some of this stuff and trying to make a case and trying to make an argument on all this stuff. So, yeah, it's not always what it appears at first glance. You've got to look at all the circumstances. It maybe matters why you got into a fight with someone. Well,
0: and, and I know the reason you're grinning is the same as mine, which is every topic we touch on, I can think of a case specifically on that point. Sure. Uh, something about it that makes me makes me chuckle a little yeah, bit. So, yeah. um, prevailing factor is the new statutory addition to this arising out of and in the course of. Right. Um, You know, new law added this. Yeah, new law. That was 2011. So, but yeah, that there, that That tells you how long we've been at this. That's still new to us, right? (laughs) Right, but that was relative to everything before. That was a huge
1: change. It really shaped a lot. There were a bunch of changes that were implemented around 2011, which was, I think, about the advent of a certain governor who's no longer governor taking uh, taking. Possession of the governor's mansion in Topeka, but yeah, That's we're still totally there. irrelevant. Stay out yeah, of the politics I know, I know. Okay, but but the point is it, that was a big, big change. And yeah, prevailing factor is a huge issue that again,
0: don't assume it's not always what you may think it is, right? The prevailing factor among all known factors as to why you're injured and need treatment. That's right, and ultimately, what compensation you might get. For maybe we it. could give an example. Let's say, um,
1: let's say I'm a 55 year old uh, person who uh, had uh, had some back problems in the back. In the are, past, are we pretending? Or? Uh, well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, a okay. guy, guy named some. Greg. Okay, not not Gary, but Greg. Sure. And and Greg uh, maybe had back problems in the past, but in the course of working, he goes over and he picks up a 25 pound box of materials and feels a pop in his back. Oh, now I've got problems. He reports it to uh, supervisors he's supposed to do. Now the question is, why are you having this pain? Or the legal question as to whether it's going to be covered under work comp. And it comes down to, it's a legal question that honestly it seems to be driven by medical testimony and medical opinions. But the issue is, why are you having this discomfort, this pain now? Why do you need treatment now? If you have impairment, why? what caused the impairment? Is lifting this 25 pound box at work or is that a factor but it's one of also it's also a factor that you had had prior back problems before and um, you would had maybe degeneration just from you know years of hard
0: work well and in contrary I'll just say it contrary to common sense <laughs> the statute is even worse than that yeah. When it talks about um, pre-existing conditions, it's punitive almost on how they treat people. The statute actually says if it's an aggravation of a pre-existing condition, even if the pre-existing condition was asymptomatic, you could be barred from making the claim. What that means, folks, is that maybe you didn't even know you had it. You You weren't going to the doctor. You you did not need any treatment. You didn't need to see the doctor. You had no restrictions on you, no impairment whatsoever, but you had a condition you were unaware of, undiagnosed. The way the statute is written, you could still have that as a preexisting factor that is weighed against other factors. And you may very well end up with a judge or excuse me, a doctor retained by an insurance company who might say that factor is more prevalent more important than the fact that you were lifting the box and to a lot of people a lot of clients that I've had to explain this to they're looking at me like that doesn't even make any sense and it doesn't in my opinion but that's why we have other options to get other medical opinions it's why we have judges that can look at this and and say yeah we that's not that doesn't make sense but the way it's written you and I both know the insurance company doctors have used that multiple times, many, many times since the change in the law, to deny a claim.
1: Oh, absolutely. I was thinking back on the podcast that our partner Sean did a little bit earlier where he was talking about if you take your car into a body shop that's been selected by the insurance company, maybe you're not going to get as good a job done in repairing that car as if you go to an independent doctor because that body shop perhaps has a relationship with the insurance company that you want to keep referrals being made to them, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I'm not trying to impugn the doctors, but no, you you're,
0: to, you're, you're not throwing rocks at the doctor's skill. What you're talking about are the blinders or the reins that the doctors are, are have on them from the insurance company.
1: That, I think that's right. That, that's, uh, they're not evil people. They're not trying to screw pe- folks. But the fact of the matter is... Well, most of them. Right. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Most are not. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, if one doctor has their honestly held opinion that I don't think works the prevailing factor, you, as the injured worker, have the right to go get a second opinion. It's not an unlimited right. We'll get into that in a second. But most of the time, what really makes sense is to go to a work comp attorney who knows the doctors or their their proclivities. Are they more employer-oriented or more employee-oriented?
0: And... uh, you know, and it's not, it's not you just us. Some, You can make some pretty safe assumptions that if the employer and insurance company sends you there, there's a reason. Right. Uh, they are familiar with that doctor. He is used to being paid by them. Um, so.
1: It, but you have a right to go to a, a different doctor, get a different opinion. You want to get an opinion. Again, part of the reason why it makes sense to go to a lawyer is go to a a lawyer can send you to a doctor that the judges are familiar with, who has credibility in front of the judges, and they may say, yeah, that first doctor's right. In which case, you, you got the benefit under the work comp, one of the benefits that you provided under the work comp act. You haven't it hasn't cost you anything if you do it within the unauthorized medical provision. But let's say that doctor says, no, I disagree. You weren't having these problems before. I see a change in the physical structure of your body through an MRI or through physical testing? And they say, yeah, I think work is the prevailing factor. Now you've got a legal issue that allows you to go to a judge Good and- point.
0: The the provision that I cited and, and qu- almost quoted, I think, uh, that aggravation of a pre-existing condition is not a claim, that's a good point. There's a sub-provision to that, which I'm almost quoting but not quite, which essentially says, as you stated, unless there's a structural change. Right. Well, the problem for many folks is if they were undiagnosed and asymptomatic, they don't have any prior MRIs or anything to compare it to. So that structural change can be hard to prove or hard to diagnose that way. Um, but you're right. If we can prove a structural change has occurred, we bypass that, uh, that argument. Sure. Now, you bring up a good point. Let's, we've already established now there's a difference between a claim and a case. We talked about what kind of employment brings you within jurisdiction. We talked about rising out of and in the course of and the prevailing factor thresholds to make it a work comp case. So, what benefits then, and again, we're going to dive into each of these things separately later. This is an overview. What benefits then um, can we expect to see in a work comp case? So, you've given notice, accident reports. By the way, you mentioned verbal notice is acceptable under the statute. That's right. I'm going to interject there and say, yes, that's true, but proving it's harder, written notice is better. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Accident reports, you know, demand to fill one out, ask to see a doctor, all those things are are better and easily proven if if it's in writing. For sure. Um, Okay, so what benefits can we expect? The first and foremost is typically people wanting treatment.
1: Exactly. Medical attention. I mean, it seems to me in very, very broad terms, there's three benefits, medical treatment, uh, temporary benefits, which are monetary benefits, to compensate you for lost income while you're healing. And then once you're through with treatment, you've reached what's called maximum medical improvement. There's an assessment made for what's called permanent benefits, which are benefits for the for the injury sustained itself. But yeah, the and, and that's part of why the work comp system is put in. Again, the idea is you get in you get medical treatment much more quickly. You don't have to argue about who's at fault. You don't have to incur the me- cost of getting medical treatment yourself and then ask to be reimbursed, which is what happens like in a car accident case, yeah. where you have to take the costs on yourself. You have you to have incur to, the
0: damage. You have to incur the damage. damage right.
1: And then try to get reimbursed if you can show the other party caused right. it. We don't have measures. to do that here. Right. If
0: you've been hurt at work, you've given notice, you can make that request for treatment they there's no copays there's no deductibles as and, long as it's authorized treatment right and when you tell your employer i want to see a doctor and they send you to the doctor you sh- you shouldn't be hesitating on asking for that treatment under some fear that you're going to have a copay or deductible you're not if your employer sends you there it's covered by work comp you don't have a copay or deductible not only that once the insurance makes their payment on the bill there's a specific statutory provision that says the medical provider cannot bill you for the remaining balance.
1: Correct, that's
0: right. Um, So you want to ask for that treatment. You don't want to be shy about that. Um,
1: Best case scenario is they provide it timely. If they don't, I would say don't wait on them. System moves as fast as you can push it. And by pushing it, I mean go in and talk to a lawyer, get the paperwork filed. Because authorized medical care, you're right, it's care that either the insurance company or the employer Voluntarily provide or that a judge orders them to provide orders them to provide. So if they aren't
0: stepping up to the plate and and doing right to begin with. Get in front of a judge. Yes. Exactly. So treatment. um, and we can get second opinions about treat maybe there's a body part they're not addressing, maybe there's a complaint they're not addressing. Maybe your treating doctor has recommended treatment or some testing that the insurance company is not authorizing. All of those things we can address with a second opinion. We can address with a preliminary hearing in front of a judge. So there's the treatment, what I call the treatment phase right. of the case, right?
1: One thing I do, you generally don't want to just go ahead and get treatment on your own because that's not considered authorized treatment. That's unauthorized treatment. And you can and, get stuck with the bill. Exactly, right. Under the statute, the employer only has to pay $500 of unauthorized care. So if you go get an MRI from your own doctor without getting it pre-approved or court-ordered, if it's a $1,500 bill, you might get stuck paying Thousand after the employer pays their statutory max of 500,
0: and that's bad. And you can avoid that by getting it authorized. Truth of the matter is, come see us, we can better spend that unauthorized medical than they can. That's because we can get you to an expert. Yes, Um, you mentioned the off work benefit TTD and TPD, right? Temporary temporary, total and temporary partial disability benefits, right? Um, The short version um, is that if the doctor takes you off work or The doctor gives you a set of restrictions that your employer cannot or will not accommodate and you are off work you would be paid two-thirds of what was your pre-injury gross average weekly
1: wage subject to a cap right and that's after you've been off work a week there's a one-week waiting period meaning if you're only off work four days in theory under the law an employer doesn't have to compensate for that but beginning with the second week off work you're right that That temporary, the compensation rate, the temporary total disability rate, is two thirds of your pre-injury wage, meaning they look at the 26 weeks of earnings you had prior to the date of your injury should include overpay, if there's shift differentials, even if there's bonuses, you can go back, I think, a year to look at bonuses. So you wanna maximize that, because not only will that affect the amount of money you're getting while you're healing, it also factors into the equation that shows how much money you get for the injury itself. The now, higher the rate,
0: the better you do. We kinda of talked about these quid pro quo exchanges for not having to prove fault in a PI system. One of the things, one of the caps, the first cap a person might run into is, there's a cap on the weekly benefit that you can get. All right. What's uh, what is it currently? Six hundred and eighty-seven dollars or something like that right now.
1: I believe that's right. I was trying to think before I came in here. The the my little cheat sheet only goes to the end of uh, twenty nineteen. It was six hundred and forty-five then. Yeah. But I think you're right. right. I think it's like six eighty something.
0: Yeah. Um, now temporary partial disability benefit would be a doctor giving you a restriction. You return back to work and the employer. Uh, either puts you in a position at fewer hours or puts you in a position that's at a different rate of pay, you've lost some money, but not all your money, and the work comp comes in and pays two thirds the loss difference. Right. right.
1: And I guess I should finish the thought about there being the one week waiting period, your benefits start with the second week, but if you're off work three weeks or more, then that first week waiting period drops that out, and now they would be responsible for paying TTD or TPD. Yeah during the entire period, you've been off work. But again, it's off work under doctor's restrictions. So you, just saying- It's I don't, not
0: because you don't feel good and you're in pain and want to go home, that would not be covered. Well,
1: not <laughs> unless you can get the doctor to right. kind of document it or get the, emplor- the employer to sign off on that. Uh, and then when you send it to the insurance company, now all of a sudden it's the insurance company paying the benefits and they're probably gonna to talk to the employer and say, what are you doing? Why can't you accommodate this person? Yeah.
0: But- uh, So treatment, that's the a benefit you can get an off-work benefit during the course of treatment up to the point, as you say, maximum medical improvement, which people fundamentally need to understand, because we're gonna talk about treatment later in a different podcast, but you have to fundamentally understand when you start a work comp case, not every injury can be fixed. That's 100% right. And sometimes it's the doctor kind of throwing his hands in the air and saying, this is as good as I can do. I can't make you any better than this. And at that point, and I'm going to ignore for a minute maintenance care and some of those other things, the doctor can essentially say, I'm done treating you. And the insurance company in kind can say, then we're done treating you and we're done paying you. Um, Now, many times that's when people come see us. Some people come see us right after they got hurt. Some people come see us the minute there's a hiccup in their treatment. Uh, or they're not getting paid for the off work benefit, or some people come to us when treatment, you know, the door has been slammed in their face, and that's when they come see us. Then there's, like you point out, at the maximum medical improvement stage, there's an assessment done uh, as to what loss of function the body might have. There's compensation that can be paid for that. There's another category uh, called work disability.
1: Well, if you don't mind, I might just add, because one thing you mentioned about that maximum medical improvement, just like different doctors will have different opinions as to what's the prevailing factor, different doctors will have different opinions as to when you've reached maximum medical improvement. Absolutely. So you're exactly right. Let's say you've reported an injury, you've received authorized treatment voluntarily from the employer, they send you to somebody, doctor says, after a few weeks of physical therapy, I think we've done all we can do. And then, but people will say, legitimately, so I'm still hurting. You have a right to get a second opinion from another doctor there. The legitimate
0: concern there is that those doctors who are being paid by the insurance company have this voice in their ear saying, "You know, geez, we've been treating this guy for four months, five months. Can't we cut him loose? You need to cut him loose. Hey, we want you to cut him loose. They're getting that in their ear from the person that's paying the bills. Or
1: maybe even a nurse case manager. They may literally have because an insurance company has a right to assign what's called a nurse case manager, somebody to kind of monitor what's going on. They have a right to do that. You know, you have the right as an injured worker to say, well, I don't know if I want a nurse case manager or not, but by and large, a nurse case manager isn't necessarily a bad thing. But they can go to the appointments, they can schedule appointments, they can facilitate you getting prescriptions. What they're really not supposed to do is go into the exam room when you're in there with a doctor getting treatment and evaluation. And I know you and I both have heard have had so many people report back saying, the doctor was gonna say, let's do some more treatment, and the nurse case manager talks them out of it. Says,
0: what good is it gonna do, let's stop it. I need an MRI, can't we do an x-ray instead? Sure, Um, because that's less expensive. I want six more weeks of PT for this patient. How about three?
1: Yeah, we hear this it's not all ne- the time. It's not supposed to be a negotiation, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? The doctor, and I think I think more, most doctors by and large do. I mean, I think their heart's in the right place, and they're, they're exercising independent medical judgment to the extent they can, but they also, the insurance company doctors, so to speak, want to keep those referrals coming in. And so. just
0: like doctors can disagree about um, prevailing factor, just like they can disagree about when MMI has been achieved, they can disagree as to what that final rating is. Oh, for sure. Which there's a formula, folks. We're not going to go into this, but there's a mathematical formula for how that impairment rating uh, equates in a monetary compensation. Right. Um, there's no pain and suffering in work comp. It all stems from this functional loss. Uh, the statute requires the doctor give a rating under the AMA Guides to the Evaluation of Permanent Impairment. Presently, the statute says sixth edition whether or not the sixth edition is constitutional is currently pending before the supreme court Uh, we'll find out eventually one day whether we go back to the fourth edition or whether it'll be the sixth but presently it's the sixth the problem is even though the statute says use this book when you open the book and read it and understand it there's more than one method to use to rate somebody insurance company doctors tend to use one method which produces a lower number other doctors those that we have sought out and found uh, tend to use another method which produces a higher number the judge knows that both of those are acceptable methods which means in the judge's eyes we're probably looking at a value somewhere in between
1: right
0: the, the truth lies in the middle perhaps so most of time. Time. right um, we'll dive into that more further because later on we're going to talk about court neutral examiners and and things like that but there's, just in concept, understand at this point, that there's compensation that'll be owed to you if you've been injured. Then there's the potential for economic damages if your injury affects your ability to return to work. That's called a work disability. Um, we have to hire a vocational expert to address that, and I'm happy to report that um, a vocational expert here in town uh, is going to come in and, and speak with us for that. Right. So for that podcast, we're gonna enjoy the benefit of a guest. Right. So.
1: And I might just add as an aside, not, not every injury necessarily is subject to the work disability analysis. You have to have the right type of injury, and by that I mean an injury that's considered to be there's to your body as a whole, yeah, right? yeah. and you have to have more than a certain amount of impairment. And that's... we will
0: get into all of that, but yes, there's some threshold elements to make that okay. difference. Um, another category of damages is perm total. Sure. A work disability would be a finding that uh, you can't return to the job you were doing in short a permanent total disability finding would be that you can't return to any gainful employment of any kind um, and finally of course in the statute there is a statute dealing with a death benefit uh, if, if the injury amounts to, to that right. um, which unfortunately we've also dealt with um, so we've got a lot to cover in the coming weeks you know, no. on all of this stuff um, the you know as you're about to Resolve a case. Let's say you've been through the system, you've accounted for your damages. Um, the system would require then that you have what's called a regular hearing. At the regular, I have a I have a existing client actually, no names shall be used <laughs> uh, that is thoroughly confused by this process. So it probably warrants clarification here. A trial in the work comp system is not the same as a trial that you would have under a motor vehicle accident claim, for example. Right. So procedurally, uh, you would appear at what's called the regular hearing. And if you are the injured party, this is your opportunity to testify. It's your day in court. It's for the judge to assess your credibility and your testimony.
1: Right. And and it's important that it's the judge doing that. You don't have a right to a jury trial in the work comp system. So it's not where there's going to be six other or 12 other people assessing this. It's it's more informal in a sense, where normally the judges don't wear robes, although some do, but it's it's a judge hearing testimony, generally testimony from the claimant themselves, the injured worker themselves, but a lot of other testimony will come in later, or perhaps earlier through what are called depositions. So the doctors well, I mean, don't come that's in. That's what I court. was
0: going to get at, and right. the confusion that one of our clients has, and, and I want these folks to understand, um, at that hearing, the the... the Sometimes there are other witnesses but typically the, the injured party is testifying. The judge then imposed what are called terminal dates. Mm-hmm. He imposes 30 days for us to finish submitting evidence. Doctors do not want to come to work comp court and spend their afternoon waiting their turn to sit down and testify about their report.
1: And To be perfectly honest, we don't want them billing us for the time they right. sit waiting in the waiting room. So.
0: so doctor's testimony typically comes in by way of a deposition transcript, which is taken uh, during that 30-day evidentiary window following the regular hearing.
1: The clients aren't there, the judge isn't there, but there's a transcript made by a court reporter that everybody
0: can look at later. 30 days following that is the respondent side's evidentiary window for them to take their testimony, and then all the evidence is submitted to the judge, um, and the ultimate decision would be made from the judge. At any point during that process, even after the regular hearing, even after you've testified as the injured worker, settlement negotiations can be happening clear up until the day that the judge enters his decision. Sure. Um, And so there are, and we're going to talk about it right now, we'll talk about it later, but there are some overlapping issues when you start looking at how to resolve a case. During the pendency of a work comp case, you can kind of focus on these issues that we've talked about and that we're going to talk about more. As you're starting to wind down a work comp case, however, we need to start looking at maybe there's an overlap with Medicare, maybe there's an overlap with Social Security disability, maybe there's been some short-term disability uh, policies invoked that that may need some addressing. Um, But the point here, I think as we wrap this up, people need to understand work comp, even though the, the settlement or the award might be referred to as a permanent disability benefit, it is not a permanent benefit. Right. It's it's awarding you or agreeing in a settlement to pay you for a permanent injury. It's not a permanent benefit. It's a fixed amount of money for for perhaps a fixed period of time. Um, so it's a stopgap measure. Some people will need to then move on to some other system, and sometimes that might be Social Security disability, for example, uh, or maybe they're old enough for the the retirement benefit. Um, but there's there's sometimes another system outside of work comp that we have to start looking at sure right Uh, and so there might be an overlap of benefits we have to address there might be settlements where closing out future medical versus the Medicare um, would require some expertise from an attorney for folks to to get that figured out we are going to dive off into everything we've just discussed (laughs) in greater detail Um, I can only hope and pray that the rest of it is not as boring, maybe, for folks as it was today. Um, maybe we'll get better at this with more practice we get. I don't
1: know if we're as, as dynamic as Sean is.
0: Well, and Steve, what, the, what people don't understand is I'm such a geek that I like talking about this I kinda stuff. I kind of do, too. Um, and, and people can't see that as we're sitting here talking with smiles on our faces. But um, <laughs> if you've been injured, please follow us through the rest of these podcasts over the coming weeks and months. Uh, I think this will be probably a five-part podcast. Um, Next time, we're going to dive into, in detail, how to start medical treatment, how to get the treatment you need, how to get second opinions, and how those opinions ultimately uh, bring you to a value for your injury. Our hope is that we can bring in one uh, one of our doctors or one of the doctors in town that participates in the work comp system. We have a lot of great doctors in Wichita, Kansas. Not all of them participate in the work comp system, however. So, um, But we have our feelers out there. I hope we have a guest on that. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll get past the treatment. We'll start talking about damages. We'll start talking about litigation process and strategy. And then ultimately, we're going to talk about how to really wrap the case up and address all of those overlapping issues for the best interest for you, the injured worker. Finally, there is something in the work comp system referred to as future rights. It's the right for review and modification, the right maybe for additional medical treatment in the future. We will have some discussion on that uh, because those are very important issues as well. When someone comes to see us, it's usually I need treatment. The second issue becomes I need compensation. And the third and big question for folks is what about my future? So we will address that for you folks too. I'm going to say goodbye. I'd like
1: to add, if somebody has been good enough to have bear with us during all this so far, there's one thing I kind of want to stress, which is do you legally have to have an attorney to represent you in a claim like this? No. The law doesn't require you to do it. But the insurance company and the employer have nurse case managers, adjusters, sometimes doctors kind of helping protect your rights, their rights, I should say. As an injured worker, you've probably got a lot of anxiety, uncertainty, frustration, not to mention physical pain you're dealing with, it is time well spent to go in and talk to an attorney free, it doesn't cost anything, it doesn't obligate you to anything, but to know what your options is. It's easy if you reported the case and they haven't provided treatment, you know you need to go into somebody right away. But if you have questions about, am I getting the right type of care, are they addressing all of my injuries, am I getting fairly compensated for this? You really need to probably talk with somebody who has some familiarity with well, the system
0: and you will not be sorry that you did. And what we've talked about in terms of complexity is the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. And not only that, the iceberg <laughs> you're standing on, it's more of like shifting sands. It is fluid. These things change and it's complicated. You, Yes, theoretically, you could represent yourself, but in light of the environment that you're in, uh, it's really a complicated thing to undertake on your own get that free consultation it's confidential like you say um, and quite frankly you know we're nice guys we're not it's not the hard sell All right. just come in and, and educate yourself um, like I say with that and we've got more episodes to come and we'll dive into things in greater detail but for today I'm Todd King with the accident recovery team I'm done I'm out Gary. Okay. Yeah, and I'm Gary Albin with Accident Recovery Team. We're at
1: 833 North Waco in, in uh, downtown Wichita. You can contact us if you have any questions at 267-TEAM or TEAM. And uh, I, I can sincerely tell you, I hope you don't need to talk to a work comp attorney. They stay safe and healthy, but if you do, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to give us a call. Goodbye, everybody. The lawyers of the Accident Recovery Team are licensed in Kansas and Kansas only. If you are unfortunate enough to live somewhere other than the great state of Kansas and have questions about an auto accident or an injury accident of any kind, you can still call the Accident Recovery Team and we can partner with an attorney in your state to help you get the representation you need. The Accident Recovery Team can be found at 267team.com or by calling 1-866-267-TEAM.